0: Thanks, Jamie. One more time, there's a card on your seat. (laughs) If you would, fill it out and pass it into the middle. Like I said, it really helps. As Jamie was saying, it really helps us know just for childcare and stuff. And, And again, our big picture, as Tia already said, big picture, we break up our yearly calendar into about four campaigns out of the year, we call them. And at the end of the campaigns, we do these conference weeks. But during the campaign, we try to keep our calendar really bare. we don't put a ton of stuff on there, and the point of that is we just have one week of more intense classes, courses, discipleship, so you can put that one week on your calendar to emphasize uh, your discipleship and be a part of the 101 courses and Soul Care Night that we have here at church. So if you could, go ahead and throw that on your calendar, and if you have it, pass it into the middle and leave it there, and we will pick them up after service. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon for today. Lord, we just praise you, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, for your grace and your mercy that is new every morning, and Lord, that we are so desperately in need of, even when we don't recognize it. Lord, we need your grace, it is your grace and your mercy that is sustaining us, and Lord, we just thank you for your love for us, and for how you have brought us here together to worship you. So Lord, be honored and glorified in the reading of your word, and be honored and glorified in our voice as we sing praises to you together. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Our campaign that we're currently in is called the Spirit-Filled Life. And we spent the first few weeks in this campaign while we were outside talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit are those qualities that the Spirit of God produces within us. And what we're really trying to do, big picture, is just ask the question of what does a Spirit-Filled Life look like? So when you talk about a spiritual person, uh, what does that look like? And what we've been trying to do, what I've been trying to emphasize throughout this is some of the like, spiritual things about a spirit-filled life are actually rather ordinary. Things like love, joy, peace. The experience of those things that we look at as saying, like, oh, he's just a peaceful person. But from the Christian perspective, when we experience the type of peace that God gives us, that's a very spiritual thing. It's a very supernatural thing. And the, the rest of this campaign, now we're going to talk about the, uh, the other wing of the plane as one author that Michael gave me an article by Paul Anderson. One author described this as the other wing of the plane. So the first wing is the spiritual gifts, or is the, spirit, the fruit of the spirit. The other wing is the spiritual gifts. So you need both in order to fly, in, in order to live the fulfilled, full life that God calls us to as his followers, and that is to emphasize, uh, or live a life emphasizing the spiritual gifts that is rich in the spiritual gifts and live a life that is rich in the fruit of the Spirit. So we need character, but we also need the gifts of the Spirit. Both have to be at work in our lives. And again, our big picture that we're talking about is what is a spiritual person? That's really the question that the Apostle Paul is answering here in 1 Corinthians So, as you even begin this exploration of the gifts of the Spirit, this is kind of where it begins. Most likely, here, Paul is answering a question from the Corinthians that we don't have uh, anymore. That letter that they had sent him is lost to us. We don't have that. But Paul planted this church, he started this church, he got it off the ground, and So he stayed in touch with them as things went well, and here in the letter of 1 Corinthians, as things didn't go so well. So they were asking him, really, what does a spiritual person look like? So the word that Paul uses here for the gifts of the Spirit, translated gifts of the Spirit, probably a better translation is like things of the Spirit or a person who is a spiritual person is how we would think about it. So he uses a different word, Then, in verse 4, so he's telling, he's probably answering their question here, where he's saying, like, now about the things of the Spirit, or about a spiritual person, like you were asking. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, in verse 4 here, he changes the word to a different word that we can't see, because it's in Greek, and we don't read Greek. But the word for gifts that he uses here is the word charismata, that we usually think of as uh, gifts of the Spirit. So, most likely Paul's doing here what we're doing in this whole campaign, where he's saying, let's talk about what a spiritual person looks like. Okay, you guys are asking, what does a spiritual person look like? And at the church in Corinth, what they were doing is over-emphasizing the gift of tongues. So that, that especially in this city, which had a lot of Greco-Roman cultural and religious influence. They really overemphasized the fact when somebody would speak in a different language or an unintelligible language in a church service, and they would say, oh, that person must be like an oracle. Like in in Greco-Roman culture, they would say that person's an oracle. They're having this divine word from God that we can't understand. So now when that came and translated to the church context and somebody's speaking in tongues, they're like, oh, that person must be really, really spiritual. Because they're speaking in a language that we don't understand, and it seems to be this divine uh, manifestation upon them. They're they're asking Paul, like, is that what a spiritual person really looks like? And if you read this whole chapter, you see Paul kind of downplaying the gift of tongues, so he doesn't eliminate it completely, but he really downplays it. And he is much more in favor of things like like prophecy, being able to say what God has said or what God is saying to us for now as a church. And he downplays these, the gift of tongues where it's unintelligible and people can't really understand it. And really, he emphasizes and he builds up all of the other gifts that are pretty, again, ordinary. <laughs> Very seemingly ordinary, but divine and miraculous in their origin. So, what he's saying here is it's not just the more sensational gifts that emphasize a spiritual person. It is even, is any manifestation of the Spirit of God at work in the life of a believer? Which, remember, has been our definition of a spiritual person. Is anyone living a life rich in the qualities that the Spirit of God produces in a believer? And again, that includes the fruit of the Spirit, things like love. Things like joy and peace and patience, those things that we seem are very ordinary, and also these gifts that the Spirit of God gives us. So, the first point that I want to kind of discuss with you today is that these are gifts from God. These are gifts. So, we're just going to explore that God is a good gift giver today. If we were to keep reading the next few verses, we see this theme. On display, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So as we serve, as we work, it is God at work within us who has equipped us and given us the gifts to do the work that we are doing. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Later in the campaign, we'll focus on the common good piece and how we are to use our gifts. But for today, we're just focusing on that each gift is a manifestation of the spirit and that is given to us from God. God gives us these gifts. So we'll talk about more of the like specific gifts and stuff especially in the Holy Spirit 101 course and later in the campaign most like the conference week is when we'll get to that. But for now I just want to focus on some of the big central ideas here that we have to understand in order to lay the groundwork for the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in our lives. Central to this idea of a gift is the difference between a gift and a wage. (laughs) If my kids were in here, they would laugh and they'd be annoyed because I ask them this question all the time, like all the time. And they usually kind of do that or they smirk and kind of chuckle and then give me the right answer because I've asked them this so many times because this idea is so central to the gospel message it is so central to the gospel, and I'm going to kind of lay this out for us. In Romans 6.23, the apostle Paul, he even juxtaposes the two. He says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin, the difference being what you have earned, a wage is what you earn, right? A gift is something freely given to you that you did not earn, Okay. The wages of sin, so what you have earned by your sin, is death. But the gift, meaning that which is freely given by God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is central to the gospel message, the difference between a wage and a gift. And the reason that I bring this up so many, so often with my kids is because the way we do things like Christmas and birthdays in our culture blurs these two lines to a great degree when you think about it. When Christmas rolls around, my kids feel super entitled to a gift from everybody, (laughs) right? Because that's the way we do Christmas in our culture. They've already been creating their birthday list on Amazon for months, and their birthday's in February, right? (laughs) Because they know that everybody's gonna buy them a gift because that's just how we do birthdays, and Christmas in our culture. So it ceases then to feel like a gift, and it feels more like something that you are entitled to or that you have earned in some way, shape, or form. Plus, the way we do Christmas, which, all right, I'm going to go on a little rant here. Have you guys heard of the Elf on the Shelf? I've gone on this rant before, so you've probably heard me go on this if you've been here a while. But for you new folks, here's my elf-on-the-shelf rant, okay? So the idea with elf-on-the-shelf is, is this little elf that you put somewhere in your house, and you kind of put them all over the place. And the elf's job, he's, he's Santa's mole, okay? He's a little rat. And he's, he's in your house, and his job is to report back to Santa whether you've been naughty or nice. So it's a way of kind of manipulating your kids to be nice, right? Coming up to Christmas time, so that the kids will get a better Christmas gift. You see why I rant and rave about the Elf on the Shelf? Because it blurs these categories even further. So now their good gift or better gift is tied to their behavior. Okay? So they have earned now a better gift. So now these categories are completely blurred in kids' minds. So if you've done the Elf on the Shelf before, I don't make, want to make you feel guilty, but as much as I can, I would encourage you to get that little rat out of your house, all right? <laughs> and don't do that anymore. <laughs> and have a conversation with your kids, seriously, and you can steal my question, that's, that's fine. Just ask them all the time, like, what's the difference between a gift and a wage? Because when these categories are blurred in our minds, the gospel is blurred, because now we start to feel as if my good behavior can earn me a better form of salvation or somehow make me more right with God. When we are already so prone as people to wanting to earn our place in heaven, to earn our status with God by good behavior. That's a natural inclination of our sinful nature that we will strive to do anyways, and we kind of tend towards that no matter what. And then with all of these other cultural forms that push us in that same direction, it creates a toxic culture. And it just blurs these lines of what is a gift and what is a wage. So, as much as we can, we need to keep these clear that our righteousness, our salvation in Jesus is a gift Period, that God has given to us, and we can't earn any more of it, as are the gifts of the Spirit. It's a gift. We don't earn it, we don't choose it. God just gives it to us by His grace and by His favor. (laughs) My rant is over on the Elf on the Shelf, all right? All right, that's the point. This is the point of Jesus' parable here in Matthew 20, is largely to bring up this idea of the difference between a gift and a wage, and he does so by telling a parable. It's a story that's meant to illustrate a spiritual truth, and yeah, let's just read it. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So if you were a landowner who had a vineyard or had crops in the ancient world, what you would do is you would go out early in the morning, like this, and find people in the marketplace to hire to come and work for you. So if you were a day laborer, you would just go to the marketplace and hang out early, right, preferably, so that you can work a full day and make a full day's wage. And then the landowners would come in and pick you and say, hey, come work for me. the day. So a little bit of a different economic system, but that's what they would do. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which was the generally agreed upon uh, income for a day of work for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So that's three hours later. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, so the day would end at six, which they'll say here, so he went out one hour before the day ended and hired some more people. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day, all day long, and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. So people worked from five to six, they got a full day's wage. People who worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., a 12-hour day, they're expecting. They see them getting one denarius, they're like, oh, sweet, this is going to be a good payday for me. But each one of them also received a denarius. Put yourself in these people's place, right? Because it's going to be so, if you know this story especially, you're like, oh, I know where it's going, right? Imagine yourself, (laughs) imagine yourself working a 12-hour day in the heat on a vineyard and seeing somebody who worked one hour, one measly hour, making the day's wage, and you're sitting there thinking like, okay, okay, I'm going to get some more cash out of this. This sounds great. Good payday for me. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? That's why Jesus emphasized in the beginning when he goes to the people at 6 a.m. to find laborers, he tells them... I'll pay you a denarius. That's what they agreed upon. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Right there is the heart of what Jesus is trying to say. Here he's speaking to largely a Jewish audience who would see the Gentiles come into the people of God and be like, hey, haven't we been following you? Haven't we been serving you for generations since Abraham? We're the people you've given the law. We've been obedient and striving to be obedient, they would say, to you for our entire history as a people. And now you're just going to bring the Gentiles in who haven't even been trying to follow you, haven't even been looking for you, in the last hour of the day, and you're gonna give them the same reward that you're giving us? And Jesus is like, yeah. (laughs) So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Are you envious because I am generous? What Jesus is emphasizing here is that acceptance into the people of God is a matter of God's grace. It is a gift that he gives us. And so... It is outside of the category of justice. It's a whole different category. If God chooses to give a gift, that's his choice. We can't earn it. We can't be envious of it. God just chose to give it. Band, you guys can come and get set up. So our response to God's gifts is twofold. One is proper use. (laughs) When somebody gives you a gift, you should use it in its proper way. And second is simply gratitude. Simply gratitude. must learn to be grateful for the gifts that have been given us because we can't earn it. We didn't earn it. It is simply a gift. And I would actually propose, I'm going to come up and apply this later, that we really, really stink at number two. If you're like me, you really stink at it. And we need to get better at it. Because again, this is central to the gospel. Let's pray, we'll sing, and then I'll come back and apply it. Lord, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your good gifts that you give us. That God, you are generous, you are gracious. So Lord, we thank you for your gifts, all of them. Lord, the blessings that you give us. Help us, Lord, to respond in gratitude. Help us to use the gifts that you have given us in the proper way to honor you, Lord. So, Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for your word. Be honored and glorified in our praises. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand and sing with us? Michael and Kathleen are in the back. They would love to pray with you. If you need prayer while we're singing, just head back there. God, we worship your name. You are holy. You are magnificent beyond our imagination. You are powerful, Lord, beyond our comprehension. So, Lord, we give you praise. We glorify your name. Lord, may you be glorified in how we sing. May you be glorified in our work that we do tomorrow, throughout the week. Glorified in the conversations that we have with one another before we leave. Glorified in our homes and how we live our lives. Lord, in the passions of our heart, what we long for, what we desire, what we pursue with our life, may it all be centered around you, Jesus, to bring you glory, to honor you, to live a life rich in the qualities that the Spirit produces. Help us to experience that peace, Lord, and to know you more day by day. You guys can have a seat for a few moments. Remember, today we're just exploring God is a gracious giver of gifts. think of how God has gifted us and how God has given us gifts, and the difference between a gift and something that we have earned, there are two proper responses on our part to that. One is to use it in its proper manner, in the proper way, to use the gifts that God has given us. If God has given us something to be used, we should use it. <laughs> I think of it in this, light. Uh, I know I've been knocking on Christmas a lot. I'm cool with Christmas. I love Christmas. I'm not the Grinch. But last, last year or two years ago, we gave my brother and I. We bought my dad this super expensive shop light, and he, uh, <laughs> my dad, loves working in his garage. He loves working on cars, and he's he's restoring this old '66 Plymouth Barracuda, and it's awesome. He loves it, and he's been working on it for years. And so, my brother and I would come in and we'd see him we'd like. He, doesn't, he didn't have a good light for this thing. He can't see anything that he's working on, and he wasn't about to go buy one himself. Um, so my brother and I got him one, and now, like, whenever I come over to his house and I see the car with the hood open and see it sitting in the garage and see the shop light hanging above it or stuck to it because it's magnetic and all that fun stuff, like, it's honoring to me to see him use that. When I see him using the gift that I gave him, I feel honored. Conversely, if I were to come into the garage and he's asking me to find a tool and I dig into the bottom of his work chest and it's buried beneath a bunch of rusty old tools and obviously hasn't been used since we got it for him, I'd be disappointed <laughs> at best and insulted at worst, right? And when we think of it in that lens, I think that it's similar to how God feels towards us. When he's given us a great gift, when he's given us gifts, to be used to edify the church community, and we're just sitting on them. We, we bury it in the bottom of our tool chest to never be used, and it's only collecting dust. At best, it's disappointing, and at worst, I think, again, it is insulting to God. Jesus actually told us a parable about this. It's called the parable of the talents, and the talents was the sum of money in the ancient world, and It's about a landowner who goes away for a long trip, and he gives a few of his servants uh, money. And two of them invest it so that when the master returns, they have more to give him. One of them just buries it in the backyard. (laughs) Backyard, I say backyard. He just buries it. And when the master returns, he gives it to him. He says, I was worried that I would lose it, and so I buried it, and whatever. And here you go. Here's your money back. And the words that the master says to this guy are harsh get away from me (laughs) those are strong words of Jesus trying to tell us compelling us to use the gifts that God has given us that when God has given us something and we just bury it and don't multiply the kingdom of God with it we're disappointing or insulting the God who has given them to us and it's worth just sitting and reflecting on that God, the creator of the universe, has given us a gift. Like, that's a wild idea in and of itself. He doesn't need to give us a gift. Usually, it is the person of lower social status who gives a gift to the person of higher social status. But not so with God. He gives us good gifts. So when we sit and reflect on that, we should be honored to use the gifts that he's given us and not bury them or hide them away. You've heard the story of Eric Liddell from the movie Chariots of Fire. Old, old movie, right? (laughs) But he has this line in the movie that has become famous for good reason. And he says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's another reason why we ought to use the gifts that God has given us is it's just part of a life lived richly for God that we sense purpose, we sense meaning, we sense the pleasure of God at work in our lives when we are using the gifts that he has given us for his kingdom. God made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure. If if you don't experientially know what that means. Think about that for a second. If you haven't taken a gift that God has given you and used it so that you've sensed the pleasure of God in your life, if you don't know what that means, if that doesn't ring a bell, if it doesn't compute or connect to your experience, then this is a topic worth exploring for you. You need to think, how has God gifted me? Explore that throughout this campaign with us. Because you're missing part of the abundant life of Christ, of experiencing the pleasure of God at work within you while you're doing what He has gifted you to do. And notice that that isn't contingent upon results and effectiveness. I just experience the pleasure of God when I'm doing what He's called me to. (laughs) That's it, that's enough. That's enough. Whether you find success in it or not, it's enough to experience the pleasure of God and know that you are being faithful to the gift that he has given you. And you experience his joy. You experience his peace when you do that. So right now I'm not going through all of the different gifts and like pick one and all that stuff with you. Right now I'm trying to go <laughs> to the level of uh, why? Why you should even pursue this? Because you may not feel like you're missing out on something, but you are if you are not experiencing the joy of using the gifts that God has given you. It's one of those things where you don't even know what you're missing, likely. <laughs> but when you experience it, it brings a deeper level of peace, pleasure, satisfaction to your life. That is the abundant life that Christ has called us to. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. And then next, our response should be simply gratitude. Simply gratitude. What other response is appropriate to a gift that has been given to you? You didn't earn it, right? It's a gift. So you should respond with just gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. As I said earlier, Accepting the gift is really difficult for us, I think. If you're like me, when somebody gives you a gift, your first thought goes to, how can I repay you? <laughs> right? That's no bueno. <laughs> that should, shouldn't be our appropriate response. And this is one of my challenges to us as a church, is how we can practice this as a church community. One, by being generous and gracious to one another, by giving each other good gifts and providing for each other. We do this a lot by like, making meals for each other when people are in need. And when somebody, I remember when somebody dropped off food at my house, I was like, what are you doing? Like, my instant reaction is like, come on, right? But then as I think about it more, I'm like, all right, I gotta learn to accept this without feeling like I need to give you something in return and pay you back. This is a way that we can get better at this in community. Is by being generous and gracious and kind to one another, by giving each other good gifts, not expecting anything in return. And when we receive the gift, just accepting it with gratitude and thankfulness. And we need to do this within the church for a number of reasons. One is that our hearts are so prone to entitlement and self-reliance. That we are so prone to entitlement and self-reliance. We feel as if we are owed everything given to us. And we want to earn (laughs) what we get. And there's a good place for that. But when it comes to our relationship with God and all the good gifts that he has given us, how can we repay him? We don't, right? If we're honest with ourselves. And this idea of entitlement, it leads us to think that God owes us something. When in reality, God owes you nothing. Think about it. Remember, grace is outside of the category of wage. they are different categories. God does not owe you breath tomorrow. God doesn't owe you health. God does not owe you prosperity and wealth. He doesn't. And so everything that we have is a gift. And so we should... Respond with gratitude. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians that we should give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances in Greek means all circumstances. We should be thankful all the time for everything (laughs) because as James tells us, every good gift is from God. That it's all a gift from God. Every good thing that we have in our life is a gift from God. And so we need to develop gratitude becoming more grateful and then lastly this directly applies to how we receive salvation how we think of our salvation and the righteousness that Christ has given us it's not by works that we're saved, scripture tells us, it is by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone so if We struggle to be grateful when somebody gives us a gift and we want to pay it back. How does that apply to your sense of God's gift of righteousness and salvation? Are you trying to earn it and pay it back (laughs) by being more moral and hoping that you can increase your salvation or whatever, make it a better salvation like you would a Christmas gift by being good? It's not the way it works. God has given you the righteousness of Christ when we believe in Jesus. And that is solely a gift that you cannot earn. Instead, we accept it. And we just give gratitude to God and thankfulness to him because of his good gift that he has given us in Jesus. And that's what we're gonna celebrate together by taking communion is the gift of salvation that God has given us in Jesus. That it's not by being a good person, it's not by being more moral, it's not by contributing to the church, it's not by anything that we do, by any work that we are made right with God. It is solely a gift of God's grace that he has saved us. And when we accept that, then we are made right with God, not by our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ is given to us. And in that, there's peace. We can respond with gratitude and thanksgiving and stop striving. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop striving to be made right with God by being good. Stop trying to pay God back for his gift of salvation and righteousness. Just accept it, rest in it. Find peace that your relationship with Christ, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, is restored, is reconciled because of Christ's work on the cross, nothing that we do. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and accepted this gift that God has given you, now's the time. We accept it. We believe it. We trust that his work of salvation is sufficient to restore our relationship to the Father to remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west and for us to have the righteousness of Christ fully to stand before God justified because of a gift that he has given us we're going to celebrate together by remembering the work of Christ on the cross the communion elements are in the back I'll head back there first and then front rows if you guys would follow me when the row in front of you finishes head into the middle Grab the communion elements in the back. There are two cups. The, the bread is on the bottom and the juice is on the top. Hold on to them. We'll pray together and partake together in a few moments. Would you guys pray with me for the bread? Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. That Jesus, you were sinless in your life. Yet you bore our sin. Thank you, Lord, for the pain that you endured on that cross. That Lord, you were willing to walk to the cross to redeem us. To set us free from our sin. Thank you for your act of grace and your mercy. Lord, your compassion that you had for us that drove you to the cross. Thank you, Lord that because of your sacrifice that we are made holy, we are made righteous. So Lord, we thank you. We remember your sacrifices. We partake of the bread. Let's partake together. we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. That, Lord, because of your death on the cross, because of your blood that was shed, our sin is atoned for. we are made right. We are made holy before you, God. Not by our righteousness. Not because we are good enough. Because our good deeds outweigh our bad or whatever false perceptions we have of how we made are made right before you. But God, it is solely by your blood that we are made right and justified before you. So Lord, all of our hope, all of our trust and faith is in you. in The salvation that you brought us on the cross, Lord, and we're going to cease all of our striving to made right, be made right with you. And Lord, we're going to rest in the finished work of the cross going to respond with gratitude and thanks to you for saving us and delivering us from our sin so Lord again we thank you for your blood that was shed for us that saves us and cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness let's partake of the cup together would you guys pray with me one more time before we close Lord God I pray your blessing over all of us here Lord, your spirit would stir in us a hunger and a desire to use the gifts that you have given us for your glory, for the edification of the church. And Lord, that we might experience the pleasure of serving you and doing what you have called us to in our giftings. And Lord, would you fill us with gratitude that your spirit would constantly remind us that we are not entitled to anything from you And so, Lord, the things that we have in this life that are good are from you. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, would you prevent us from self-righteousness, from growing entitled in our hearts? soften our hearts to have a sense of gratitude, to realize, Lord, your graciousness, your kindness, and your favor that you have given us. And Lord, to be people who live with gratitude and so live humbly in honor of you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here with us, guys. If you need prayer, Michael and Kathleen are in the back. They would love to pray with you. Go in the peace of Christ's salvation that He has brought.